Well, what a joy to be able to listen this morning hear a great testimony. Um, at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. The rest of us will open your Bibles with me to the book of John. Book of John, chapter uh, 17. Now, if you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring one with you today, uh, there are a few Bibles close to you. So you can certainly uh, want to follow along with us. John, chapter 17. This is on page 903 in the Pew Bible. 903 in the Pew Bible. So, as we think about, we are at the beginning of a new year. It is 2019, right? Now, since we don't write many checks, it's a little easier to get past that because oftentimes you're writing 2018 for a long time. But 2019 is here, and as we think about the beginning of a new year, it is indeed a good time for us to look back at where we've been over the last 12 months. It is good also for us to be able to look forward, to think about what's ahead of us, what's going on in the next year. Certainly a lot of things we're going to plan and anticipate, but we're also confident that there are a lot of things that are going to take place in the next 12 months that none of us have any idea about. But we know that our God does, and so that's the God that we trust. We're going to trust Him and His wisdom in this coming year. But it's not only good for us to look back and to look forward, but it's also a good time for us to pause and to look within ourselves. Uh, to do some examination of where are we in our relationship with God? Where are we in our relationships with others? It's a good time for us to reflect. And this morning and over the next two, next three Sundays, we're going to spend in a little series that I'm calling, and we're calling it the idea, This is the Life. <clears throat> As I think about this idea of This is the Life, I, I purposefully titled it, This is the Life. It's not, This was the Life. Okay, this is what we used to be, or this is going to be the life, which we've got some hope and confidence in God's promises. We know what's coming. But to talk about this is the life. Today matters. That where we are right now is significant. And so this is, and this is the life. As we think about that idea of this is the life, we can likely fill in all kinds of things about what that might be. This is the life. And we can define the life of the life of comfort, a life of pleasure, a life of ease, a life of... We can answer that in a lot of different ways about what is life. And then we can have a lot of ideas about what it is that gives us this life. And we can think about, well, this is the life, having all the money that I would want to have to be able to do whatever I want and to not have to worry. That would be the life. This is the life. If, if these things were true in my family, if these things were right, then this would be the life. And, and we could spend time thinking about a lot of different things that, that we might say, these are the things that are going to give us life. These are the things that we want, that we long for, the things that we think would satisfy us. And yet this morning, we're going to focus on what John 17.3 talks about. And John 17.3 is talking about the idea that this is the life. Well, this morning, we're going, to, we're going to be looking at a bunch of different places in the Bible this morning. Okay? I'm going to work harder to give you the page numbers and stuff, but one of the things we think about the, about the Word of God in, and following along and finding our places in it, I just want to put a little plug in about finding your place in the Bible. Okay? What I mean by finding your place is we're in John 17, 3, and in a little bit we're going to be in the book of Galatians, and we're going to think, where's Galatians? And then we're going to be in another part of the book, and like, where's that? And what I want us to be is a church full of people that know what's in the Bible and where it is. Okay, So that when I say turn to the book of John, that you are somebody who's growing, that you don't have to turn to the index, find John's on page 903, and then turn there just to know it. So, 
what we're going to do tonight, starting tonight, we're going to have a three-week uh, Bible workshop, okay? And I, wanna, I, want, I would love you to all to come, because what we're going to do is we're going to spend time learning the books of the Bible in order, Okay, now, some of you did that growing up. As kids in Sunday school, you learned a song or something, and you learned it, and you're like, I got those, they're in order in my head. Many of us didn't come to Christ until later in our lives or didn't have an opportunity to learn that, and it's really a hard, it's a struggle to find stuff in the Bible. But I'd also say that not only that, but if I said, even if you learn the books of the Bible, and I said, okay, what is the theme of the book of Ezra? What's the book of Ezra all about? They say, I don't know. Okay, well, we're going to spend time tonight working, in the next three weeks, working on that. And here's what, we're going to make it fun. And so, for instance, here's the book of Ezra. Okay, there's S, and what's that S saying? Ra, so this is the book of Esra. Okay, and in the background, there's this building, and that building in the background is the temple. What is the book of Esra about? It is about Israel coming back from exile and rebuilding the temple. It's a big theme of the whole book. Okay, so if I would back up a slide, okay, what is the theme of the book of Esra? Anybody know? Yeah, rebuilding a temple, right? And what picture is in your head when you think of Esra now? This S saying Ra, okay? So I would ask you maybe another question. Okay, so what book comes after Ezra? Nehemiah, okay? So the book of Nehemiah, so here is the book of Nehi. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, this is also after the exile, and what, is the, what do you suppose the theme of the book of exile is? Ezra's rebuilding the temple. What's it look like they're rebuilding here? The wall. So we're going to spend time, we're going to talk a little bit about how Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra's about rebuilding a temple, Nehemiah's about rebuilding the wall, how that is all God bringing Israel back from the exile according to his promises. And we're going to look, we're going to learn all the books of the Bible with these pictures, and we're going to do it in a fun way and lots of review. And I promise you, if you come and participate, by the time we're done, you're going to know it. And not only that, but I'm putting my plug in here for this, and uh, you're going to get a little workbook. And in this little workbook, it's got the pictures and the descriptions, okay, for you. So you can learn all this. And there's this chart that we're going to look at. It's this Bible arc, and it's how it all fits together. So what we're going to do on Sunday nights is the Bible workshop, learning the books of the Bible, learning themes of the books of the Bible, and how it all fits together. Big overview, okay? So, and it's, we're going to do it and have fun, all right? So that's starting tonight. So if you turn to the book of John, okay, back to our lesson, the book of John, okay, we, the book of John, again, is on page, in the passage we're looking at is on 903. Our theme, again, this morning is, this is the life. Okay, so what is the life? Well, let's look at John 17, 3. John 17 is this prayer. Jesus is praying right before he goes to the cross. And in verse, let's begin in verse 1, it says, And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those you have given to him. And then here's our key verse, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. When we think about this idea of this is the life, knowing God is the life. 
what is life all about? Life is all about knowing God. And in our passage, it says, this is eternal life. And as we understand eternal life, the Bible makes it clear that eternal life is what first comes to our minds when we think of eternal life. It is about a duration of life, a life that goes on for a long, long period of time, forever. Eternal life is about a quantity of life, how much life we have. But, but eternal life isn't just about a length of time that we spend with God, a length of time that we live. It's just not about a quantity of life. It is also about a quality of life. Eternal life is about a quality of life. And we'll see that. Turn back in the book of John with me to a few, pa- a few pages to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, we see that Jesus is describing how we come to know him and how we can have life with him. And in John chapter 10, he's talking about a thief and somebody who climbs in over to steal sheep and about what sheep do. And he's describing himself as the good shepherd. And he says this in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is telling us he has come into this world to give us life, to give us a quantity of life that is forever, but to give us a quality of life that is united to him, a quality of life that is, that is marked by abundance, a quality of life that is marked by growth and change. Uh, God wants to give us, listen, a quality of life that life is getting brighter and brighter as we follow him. We would see this also, not only in John 10, we see what does this, this quality of life look like in the book of Galatians. And if you'll turn there with me, in the book of Galatians, if you turn towards the end of your Bibles, uh, this passage is on page 975 in the Pew Bible. Knowing God is the life. This is eternal life. And Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is, the, what is the quality of life? What is it marked by in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22? In this passage of Galatians 5, 22, we're talk, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What kind of life does God want to give us? What does knowing God, what does that produce in our lives? It produces fruit. And in Galatians 5, 22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we think about what does truly knowing God do for us? Truly knowing God gives us abundance and it produces fruit. That if I truly know God, that what my life, I'm growing in love. Are you growing in love? I mean, to think about your own life is, you look over, to, over the past year and to think, have you grown in love? Not just loving the people that love you, but loving people that don't like you. Have you grown in What about joy? That this life that God gives to us that he wants us to have and knowing him is a life of growing in joy. Are you becoming a more joyful person because you love God? Are you becoming a, a someone who is more gentle and more patient and more faithful? Someone who is more self-controlled because God is producing this fruit in your life? 
Now, I would tell you that you're probably not the best person to answer that question for yourself. Probably the people sitting next to you are. Are you growing? Are you, is there evidence in your life that you're a follower of Jesus and this growth is happening and that you truly know Him because knowing God is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you know Him? This is the life. Well, knowing God isn't, isn't only the life. We also see that knowing God is also, though, it is our greatest need. That knowing God is our greatest need. That we know that God's created us to know Him, love Him, and to live for Him. God created us for all of this. But we also know that our lives are marked by sin. That we've all turned, each of us, to go our own way. Somebody crosses us, we don't first think, how would God have me respond and respond that way? I do what I want. I do what's in my heart. I respond to others based on my own desires, on my own, my own will, not God's will. As a result of that, I'm a, I sin. I, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. Sin alienates us from God. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned against God, they went into hiding where there's a separation that happened between them and God as a result of our sin that we're unacceptable to God. Our lives bear sin. It bears, bears the marks of an, an, an unacceptability to God. In Isaiah chapter 59, it says our sins have made a separation between us and God. That there is a wall dividing us between, from God that, that, that makes us unacceptable to Him. We're alienated from God. We're unacceptable to God. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. Our condition is significant. And we see also that sin blinds us to all of this. We think we're okay. We ask an average person on the street, do you think you're a good person? What's going to be their answer? Well, of course I'm a good person. And now, we'd say it this way, of course I'm a good person because I'm setting the standard for what goodness is. And yet when we realize what's God's standard for goodness is holiness. And, and we see that while I may be good compared to the people around me, when I put myself against God's standard, I realize I fall way short. I've lied, I've stolen, I've used God's name in vain, I have thought horrible things about other people, I have been selfish, I have this record of sin that is tremendous. And as a result of that, I'm separated from God, that I've fallen short, and I'm blind to all this because I think I'm a pretty good person. But let's look and see what the book of 2 Corinthians says about this. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in your pew Bible, this is on page 965, sin alienates us from God, but sin also blinds us. Sin blinds us to the glory and the goodness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it describes this blindness in terms of an Old Testament passage about a veil, and it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, what that means is we're talking to other people about who God is, about who we are, about our sin, about what Jesus has come to do. As we're talking to people about that, it says this gospel message, they're blind to it. There is this veil that they don't get it. And, and it says this. It says that 
in their case, in verse 3, it says, if indeed, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are in their sin and dying in their sin. It goes on then, and it says this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it says this, the sin veils us, so we don't see God's glory and God's goodness because of this veil of sin, but when we realize that we're willing accomplices in this, but then it says to us that Satan blinds unbelievers. So Satan is actively seeking to blind us, and we are willfully blind. I don't want to see, and Satan says, good, you don't want to see, I'm not going to let you see. And so our problem is significant, and our result is that we don't see God. We end up ignoring God. We see this. You think about how does this flesh itself out in our culture, that people ignore God? There are people that don't think anything about God. They just, they don't, they don't care. They're not thinking about God. God's not on their radar. They're not thinking about judgment, wrath. They're not thinking about pleasing God. They're not thinking about honoring God. They're not thinking anything about God. There are also people that flat reject God. People that shake their fist at God. They know some things about God, but, but, but they're hostile towards God. They're rejecting it, and they know it, and they're, they're, there's some opposition to that. And so we, we ignore God, we reject God, or we just recreate God. We make God to fit us. And the way that we often do that in our culture is that, that we make God's all about love. Love, 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 love wins. God's about love. There's no talk about wrath, no talk about judgment. Jesus died on the cross because he loved us to show us a good example. But we're not going to talk about sin. And so we see what does the blindness do? Spiritual blindness causes us to reject God, to ignore God, or to recreate God into an image that suits us. But what does the gospel do? Let's look on in verse 5. It says, for what we proclaim we is, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, with ourselves as your servants. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is a glorious testimony that in our natural state, we reject God, we ignore God, we recreate God. Why? Because sin veils our hearts. We don't see God. We're in darkness. What does the gospel do? The word of God, this good news of Jesus, is in many ways when it's declared, the gospel is essentially saying, let there be light. Let there be light in the darkness of our hearts, in the darkness of our souls, in the darkness of being veiled. The gospel is saying, let there be light. And what God does is then God opens up and he pierces through that veil and he opens it up. And then whenever we see that there's light, we are radically transformed. We see this light of the gospel and we see that, that Jesus died for me, that he rose again and he gave me new life, that that becomes this incredible reality. And we sing things like, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I would ask you the question, has that become a reality in your life? Where you would say, I was blind, I was in darkness, and, and God turned on the lights, and now I see, and I see the beauty and the glory of who God is, and I'm passionate about who He is and what He's done. Has that happened in your life? I'm 20 years old. I'm, I grew up in church. Actually, it's a church, by the way. This is a pause. 
Caleb is preaching at the church that I grew up in this morning. Pray that God would use him because I grew up there never hearing the gospel. And that God would use it. So, back to this message. So, pretty cool. So, I'm 20 years old. Senior at Purdue University, studying agriculture, economics. I was a guy who was pretty much ignoring God. I kind of knew some stuff about God, but I mean, I grew up in church, not hearing the gospel and stuff, but grew up in church, and so I knew Bible stories. I had a friend who gets saved, comes back from his senior year, our senior year, and is talking to me about how I need to trust Jesus. And um, he'd leave tracks on my desk and stuff, and it kind of annoyed me a little bit because he didn't know anything about the Bible. I mean, I knew the Bible stories. I grew up in the Bible. I knew about David and Goliath. I knew about, about Samson. I, I knew those stories. I grew up knowing those stories. And yet, there was a veil of blindness on my mind. I, I knew, you could, have, you could have convinced me I was a sinner. That wouldn't have been hard. But to realize that I don't know God, I've never seen the glory of Him, I've never come to truly know Him, that's where I was. And my friends leave in tracks. And so, I'm... Um, we start, we're starting this Bible study, and we're this Bible study, and a guy leading it, we're studying the book of John. And then the two chapters into it, I'm walking home from this Bible study one night, and I'm walking through the parking lot of Stone Hall at Purdue University, and I just say, God, I get it. You're real. The light, what happened? What happened at that moment? The light, God said, let light shine out of darkness. And what happened? Light shone into my heart. And I pray that that would be your reality in your life. And you're thinking, I'm not sure that's taken place in my life. I would say that, I would encourage you to say, God, open my eyes to see your glory. Because that, that's what the gospel is all about. Remember, we're saying this is the life. What is the life? Knowing God. That's the life. It is, yes, having our sins forgiven, going to heaven, fantastic. That's wonderful because God does that. That's why he sent Jesus. But he sent Jesus so we could know him. That's the passion that we should have, to know God. And as we look at in our passage, it says, let light shine out of darkness, and it's shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And what difference does that make? Listen, knowing God, that's the life. Knowing God is our greatest need. And what we see, though, too, is that knowing God is a transformational experience. Knowing God changes everything. Look up just one chapter earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. What happens when I know God? What happens when the veil is lifted? What happens when light shines into my life? It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, the veil's been removed, behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is he saying? That when I'm born again, when God saves me, the veil lifts. And what do I see? How glorious God truly is. And as I, as I meditate and I see who God is, He changes me. I become more like Jesus. You become more like Jesus. You begin to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All become these fruits that are bearing forth in your life on a regular basis, year after year after year. You're growing. Why? Because God's made you alive. He's made you new. 
in this transformational experience in that Ephesians 1 passage that, that, God, that Paul is praying that God would open the eyes of our hearts. Would open the eyes of our hearts so that we're dead, we would be made new. And that we're made new by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. We're living in our darkness and we're not looking for God, but God shines His light into our lives and transforms us. Listen, knowing God is a transformational experience. It changes us. Turn with me to the book of John, 1 John. This is almost all the way at the end of your Bibles. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, this is on page uh, 1021. 1 John chapter 2. And verses 3 and 4 help us to understand that knowing God is a transformational experience. It is our greatest need. This is the life. But knowing God, what's it look like? 1 John chapter 2, and begins in verse 3, says this. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him. Now, pause there. What's he saying? You want to know if you know God? Here's a test. How do you know if you know God? Do you just Because I just say I know God? Or is there a test? He says, no. This is how we have come to know if I know Him, if we keep His commandments. How do I know if I know God? If I'm following Him. Not that I'm keeping these commandments perfectly, because just a chapter earlier we're told if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So God continues to, but, but the pattern of my life, if I truly know God, I'm keeping his commandments. Which you might say, well, what if I say I know God, but I'm not keeping the commandments? That's a really good question. And John addresses it. Look at the very next verse. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments, is a, what words it use? Liar. I say I know him. I'm not living according to my commandments. How am I lying? Because you don't really know God. And he says, and the truth is not in him. Listen, if you are living in sin, unrepentant sin, like nothing's wrong, and it's fine, and you say you know God, something's wrong. Something's wrong because you're living in a way that is saying, I don't know God. That's what your life says. And your life is probably what's right. Because you think, no, I know God because I grew up in Sunday school, I'm in church pretty often, and, and I do love God. I do love God. I love, love, love Him. I'll sing about Him. I'll praise him. I'll go to church. I love, love, love him, but I'm not going to keep his commandments. This verse says that we are a what? Now, this should sober us. Because we live in a culture where everybody says they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And what's happened? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And what do we see? People sleeping with their boyfriends and thinking, I'm fine. I love Jesus. Sleeping with their girlfriend. I love Jesus. Pornography. Just our life is absorbed with pornography and says, I know Jesus. Not really interested in the things of God. Don't really read my Bible. Don't, um, you know, I just think of all these things that God calls us to do. Those aren't really a part of my life, but I know Jesus. It should be a sobering reality to us this says 
By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, this isn't a works idea. It's the idea is this. If God has shines light into your life, gives you the Holy Spirit, and he's made you a new person, guess what you're going to have? New desires. I want to please God more than I want to please me. And so I'm wrestling with this and sins of battle and it's hard because there's a piece of me that wants to, wants to follow my flesh and do what I want, but there's also this reality that God has been so good to me and He is so great. How could I do that? That's what ought to be going on in our hearts and our lives if I truly know God, that there is a significant battle going on. And if you're playing in sin and there's no battle going on, I would encourage you, Examine yourself in the light of the scriptures, not in the light of your history, not in the light of your experiences, in the light of God's word. And then you can say, well, what do I do if I would come to the conclusion that I'm not? Well, do what Angelica has talked about doing. Repent. I turn. I turn from that and say, God, help me to love you more than I love me. Help me to see that you are more valuable and more precious than my sin. God, help me to have that. I want that. And God, something's wrong with me because that's not the reality. And I'm confident you turn to that and you turn to God and you pray that kind of prayer that he is going to change you. If you're saved, that's going to be a renewal of that salvation and a refreshing of it. If you're not a believer, you're going to know him in ways that you've not known him before. We call you to recognize that our knowing God is a transformational experience. It's a transformational experience that changes everything about us. Well, as we realize that knowing God, this is the life. It's our greatest need. It is a transformational experience. We would also see this, that it is a perpetual pursuit. A perpetual pursuit. And turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, the theme of the book of Philippians is flipping ends. There's a picture of a bull flipping ends who's really happy. The theme of the book of Philippians is happily humble. We'll see that tonight or maybe next week. I want to encourage you to come. But the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, I think I have four on the screen. It's actually chapter 3. And Paul the Apostle in chapter 3 in verses 2 through 6 is talking about his, his spiritual resume, about how much he's attained and how much he's accomplished for God. I've done this, I've done this, I've done, I've done this. And look what he says in verse 7 of chapter 3. This is on page 981. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I was getting out of life, whatever I was finding life in, I now consider that loss. It is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing God, this is a perpetual pursuit. It's the greatest or best thing. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And what is Paul saying is all this stuff that mattered most to me, the light of the glory of Christ has shone into my life and made me new, and now all of that stuff, it's trash compared to what God's giving me. And then he goes on and says this, that, that I may know Christ, and then he says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And he says again in verse 10, that I may know him. Knowing God is the life. He wants to know God. He knows God as a Savior and wants to continually to know him and be conformed to his likeness in his death. And in verse 12, he says, this is why it's a perpetual pursuit. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've got it all figured out and I know God as well as I can, but not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it known because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what is ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. I know him. I know him in a salvation, salvific way, but I also want to continue to know him in a deeper, more intimate way. And how do we do that? We do that by listening to him. We do that by, by, by reading his word, listening to his word, meditating on his word, memorizing his word. Do you realize God has told us everything we need to know about him right here? Everything we need to know is right here. And I'm burdened because I think people are saying, you know what, I want to know God. I'm going to go into the woods and try to find God. And have some experience. I want to climb up on a mountain and have an experience with God and really know God. That's not where you're going to find him and that's not where you're going to know him. You're going to know a God of your own making on the mountain and in the woods. You know the God of the creator, creation in the word. That's how we know him. And that's why I'm passionate about these, these like growing together cards, about being in God's word, talking to others about this. These are things we need to be doing, to be growing together, to be pressing on in this perpetual pursuit. To read your Bible. Are you committed to reading your Bible this year? And, and again, not just reading it so you get through more of the Bible, but reading it so more of the Bible gets through to you. That's the goal. And then so we recognize this. So knowing God, that's the life. Knowing God is the life. Knowing God is our greatest need, is a transformational experience. Knowing God is a perpetual pursuit. But I will also say this, that knowing God is our eternal delight. What are we going to rejoice in in all of eternity? In God. Turn with me to the last couple of passages we'll look at in the book of Revelation. All the way at the end of your Bible, we're going to look at two passages, chapter 21, and then we'll look at chapter 22. So, as we look at living in this life, and, and, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's difficult, but God's with us, and He's strengthening us, encouraging us, that we are living for Him because we know and love Him, where's all this going? We'll look in Revelation 21 with me. This is on page 1041 in your pew Bible. It says in verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You think about the glorious nature of that. You think of a wedding day and a groom and the bride catching eyes and seeing each other and the delight that that brings them. That's this new creation. 
And it says, and it says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Where this, listen, where, the, where everything's heading is not that we end up in heaven with God. That's not where everything ends. Everything ends when God makes a new earth and brings us. We're down here on this new earth, and God now comes and dwells with us on this new earth. And no more sin, it's all gone, he dwells with us. And what does he do when he comes to us? Look at verse 4. Beautiful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, just pause there. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, think of all the things that bring tears in our hearts. Brokenness. And we have a Savior, and God, as though he steps out of heaven, and he comes down to us, and he draws us near, and he wipes away the tears, and he says, no more. All gone. That's where he's taking us. He goes on. He says, he's going to wipe every tear away, and death will be no more. And neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. It's all gone. That's what he's doing. That's what knowing him does for us, that we have that confidence. It says, as we look at, it says in verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then we get to chapter 22, and look what it says in verses 1 to 5. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, and also on either side of the river was the tree of life, and twelve kinds of fruit yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will anything be cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need for light of a lamp or the sun, for God, the Lord God will be their light and will reign. They will reign forever and ever. That's where God's taken. That's listen. We get to know God now in a the, the veil has been removed, but we don't know Him fully yet. But one day we're going to be with Him and we're going to see Him. It says in verse four, they will see His. Seeing the very face of God. What's life about? It's about knowing God. Knowing God, it is our, it's our greatest need. It, it, it's the greatest need. It's a transformational experience. When we know Him, we're transformed. When we know Him, we have this perpetual pursuit. We're going to continue to grow to know Him. And then it's in our eternal delight. And why I think that it's an eternal delight... Some of this is Steve Wicker speculation, so if you don't agree with it, that's fine. All this ahead of this, you can look here. But here's what I think. We're going to be in heaven. I don't know if we sleep in heaven or not, but if we do and we wake up, let's imagine you wake up in heaven and every day you learn a thousand new things about God. And think about when you learn something new. It's like, oh, that's cool. Whoa, there's that discovery. It's like amazing kind of stuff. And every day we wake up in heaven, we learn a thousand new things about God. 
And now, I've been in heaven 10,000 years. I've learned a 1,000 things about God every day for 10,000 years. How much closer to, uh, to, am I to knowing everything there is to know about an infinite God, knowing a 1,000 things a day for 10,000 years? How much closer am I to knowing it at all? None. That's awesome. This perpetual pursuit, this, this eternal delight, we're always going to be delighted in God and we're going to be doing new things on this new earth, all kinds of things. But the purpose, what I want us to see this morning is that what is life? Life is about knowing God. And the big question is, do you know Him? Does your life bear witness that you know Him? Are you being transformed Are you pursuing a deeper knowledge of Him? Are you longing for Him as your eternal delight? I want to encourage you this morning to to, to pray and ask God to continue to open your eyes to His glory. And if they've never been opened before, that He would open them and you would be born again. But for those of us who are believers, that we too would be praying, God, open the eyes of my heart to know You more and more so that we would delight and rejoice in Him more and more. Do you know him? Does your life look like it? Are you pursuing a greater knowledge of him? I'm going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing a song. It's, it's going to, it kind of talks about that we just want him. If you're saying maybe this morning that you say it's time, that it's time you need to draw a line in the sand and say, I am going to be about pursuing a knowledge of God. I want to know him. I'm turning my life to know him. If there's something working in your heart this morning, I would encourage you to take some time maybe to come forward. You can certainly pray where you are, but sometimes it's beneficial to move out of the pew and just draw a line in the sand and say, this is where I am. I'll be up front happy to talk with you. Or if you just want to pray alone, that's certainly fine as well. But let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us through Jesus Christ, that you have told us that eternal life is knowing you. And God, I pray that that would be our greatest desire, Lord, that we would be being transformed as we know you, being transformed in this life and made new because of all that you are, all that you have done, and all that we know about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.